Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. We're in the middle of a series called At Home. In the first week of the series, we looked at the time that Jesus visited the home of Simon Peter and he healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And I told you that day that Jesus in the house brings healing to the house. How many of you are ready for a healing in the house of God today? Amen? I believe God can heal you today. The second week, we focused on the time that Jesus visited the, the home of Zacchaeus. And I told you that Jesus in the house brings purpose to the house. Zacchaeus was a man of means, but he didn't have a mission. And Jesus gave him a mission. He gave him a purpose in life. And then last week, we studied the time when Jesus went to Jairus' home, and he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, and the weeping and the wailing in that home was overwhelmed by amazement and excitement. And I told you that Jesus in the house brings joy to the house. How many of you know the joy of the Lord is our strength? Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. Today is one of those awkward days that we've probably never seen before because I, I, I walked in and, and most of you were already seated during a moment before service when you would probably be standing up talking to someone and, and it, it's, it's hard to feel like you're at home in, in that kind of setting. And this is gonna be short-lived. I promise you it's gonna be short-lived and, and we're gonna get back to the fellowship. You know, we didn't even get to have our, our two-minute meet and greet. So, you know, I, I thought about, hey, you know, let's... Let's, let's have a, a 10 second stand and stare or something, you know, we could, we could do something, you know. And so it's just, it's just, it's an awkward day, but thank God we're all together, right? Praise God that we're all together in this room. We're finally back together and we're in our new church home. And there's that phrase that someone might use when they have guests at their house and, and they'll say something like this, make yourself at home. Maybe you've said that to someone or or someone has said that to you, make yourself at home. Be careful who you extend this invitation to, though, because they might make themselves at home and, and throw you out because they don't like guests. So you need to be careful on, on who you say that to. Or you might say that to someone, and they might really make themselves at home, and they'll go get your favorite recliner. They'll grab the remote control and your favorite blanket. You know, in my house, I don't like anybody using my blanket. Makes sense. I don't want your feet all over my blanket. What if I reverse it next time and I put that end up next to my face? I don't want your feet on my blanket. So my, my kids and my wife, they know don't, don't use his blanket. Kendall, I know you used it the other night. I saw it. But. So you invite someone to make themselves at home. They sit in your favorite recliner. They grab the TV remote, and they just binge watch Netflix all day. So you got to be careful on who you say that to, right? Make yourself at home. Mi casa, su casa. You didn't know I was bilingual, did you? When someone expresses this to you, what they are essentially saying is that I want you to feel as comfortable here in my house as you feel in your house. I want you to be comfortable here. And so feel free. Kick your shoes off, put your feet up on the couch, help yourself to the pantry, help yourself to the refrigerator. My house is your house. I want you to feel comfortable here. And it's this invitation to kick back, relax, and just be yourself. So church, I'm inviting you this morning, kick back, relax, and just be yourself. We're at home. We're at home together. And if you were to come to my house for any significant amount of time, I would show you where everything was at, 
And I would tell you to make yourself at home. And I, I did this uh, probably a year and a half or so ago. I remember Jake and Alexis, they were, they were building their house. And for some ungodly reason, they decided that they were going to live in a travel trailer for the endurance of building their home. Now, maybe some of you have done, done that before, but that's one of the dumbest things you could possibly do. She's even agreeing with me right now. And so they were living in this travel trailer, them and their daughter, and, and, and a hurricane was, was coming towards Florida. And so Mandy and I got concerned about them, and we said, listen, we can't, we can't have them in a travel trailer. And so we, we invited them to come to our house for a couple of days and ride out the hurricane with us. And so Jake and Alexis and Carson came to our house, and we made sure, you know, our house is your house. You feel at home. You don't have to ask us, you know, to, to, to go to, to get something to drink. You know, just help yourself as, as, as you live here for the next 48 hours or so. Well, Carson figured out my favorite seat at the end of the couch where my couch reclines, and she figured out that that's where Pastor Rocky always likes to sit. And so I walk in the living room one day, and she goes running up, and she sits down. She says, it's my seat. Okay, I'll play along. And I would, I would trick her out of it. You know, I would say, oh, I'm going to go sit in Carson's seat. And I would go over there and she'd get up, she'd run, I'd get in my seat. And we had this little game going for a couple of days. Well, that's been a while back. Yesterday, we all had to go to a funeral together. And uh, Kendall, my daughter, was watching Carson. And when I got home, guess who was sitting in Pastor Rocky's seat? She made herself at home again, didn't you, Carson? By the way, it's good to have all of our kids in the room. We will have you back to Children's Church soon. I promise you that. But you are being so good for me today. The question has to come to mind. Can you feel comfortable in God's house? Because there's a lot of people that don't. There's a lot of people that they just don't feel comfortable in God's house. If you're here today and you don't feel worthy enough to be here, you're in good company. Welcome home. Because all of us, our righteousness is as filthy rags. None of us are worthy enough to be here. But by the grace of God, we get to enter into his presence. Maybe your past is ugly and, and shame has you bound. If that's you today, welcome home. But, but leave your shame at the door. Because you don't get to bring it in here. Because we don't walk in that kind of guilt and that kind of condemnation around here. If you're looking for a church that won't judge you but will journey with you as you go through life, then this is what you're looking for. And I declare on behalf of this church, welcome home. His house is your house. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I want to I get into your head a little bit, and, and I, I want you to explore something with me that uh, it's, it's hard for us to grasp sometimes because it's hard to fathom that, that Jesus had a house while he walked the earth. While Jesus was flesh and blood, while he was part of humanity, we don't ever think about that Jesus had a house. We know at 12 years old when Mary and Joseph went looking for Jesus, he told them then, wouldn't you know I would be at my, about my father's business? And, and one translation says that I would be in my father's house, and that's where they found him. They found him in the temple. But while Jesus was, was living for 33 and a half years as, as human, we know that, that he had to have somewhere to lay his head down. 
We know that he grew up in Nazareth and he lived under the roof of Joseph and Mary. We know that as an adult, he relocated to the seaside town of Capernaum, a little fishing village. And, and it wasn't long after his earthly ministry started, just a few days after he healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law, that Jesus embarks on what we believe to be his first ministry tour throughout the Galilee region. And the Bible says that, that he went on this little tour, on this ministry tour, and, and he would go into the synagogues in the Galilee region and he would teach God's word and then he would cast out demons. So he was setting people free. And then he returns back to Capernaum. And it was there where he re retreated to his home for a few days to no doubt rest and, and recoup after what had been an exhausting first ministry tour. And, and I know that God does not sleep nor slumber, but Jesus chose to become human. Yes, he was fully divine, but he was also fully human. And that means that in the form of a man, he felt pain. He felt the same pain that you feel. He felt the same rejection that you feel. As a human, he put himself in a position to where he could feel the exhaustion and the pain. And I can tell you this, when he endured the cross for me, when he endured the cross for you, he put himself in a place where he was not exempt from the pain and he was not exempt from the exhaustion so that he could relate with us and he could be that savior for us. And I am certain that after this missionary journey, after this ministry tour that he went on, I am certain that he was enjoying some much needed rest at home. And after a few days off, the people found out that he was home. Now, we're not sure if this was a home that he built. After all, he was the son of a carpenter, so maybe he built the home. We don't know if he owned the home, if he was renting the home. We don't know about that. Maybe he was staying with a friend, and even if he was staying with a friend, we know this. We know that that, that, that would be where he would lay his head down, so that becomes home for him in that season of his life. But he is at home, and people come, come knocking. People come knocking on the door. They come to his residence and, and, and they want to, to see Jesus. They want to hear Jesus. And, and they knock on his door. How many of you today are thankful that when you knock on the door of Jesus, he swings the door wide open and allows you to enter into the presence of the Lord? Amen? You know, it, it, I like the way that he said it in Luke chapter 11, verse 9. He said, and I tell you, he says, ask and it will be given to you. He said, seek and you will find. And then he says, knock and the door will be open to you. So we don't have to beg to enter into the presence of the Lord. We knock and he swings the door wide open. We felt that this morning right here while we were worshiping. We were knocking on heaven's door and all of a sudden the door swings wide open and we get to experience the presence of the Lord right here. And if you're here this morning and, and you're knocking on heaven's door, know that the door is wide open. God welcomes you in. We welcome you in. And Jesus is in this house. I declare that right now over our church. Jesus is in this house. Amen? Mark chapter 2. I want to read, start reading at verse 1. It says, And he returned to Capernaum after some days, and it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Man, that's the way it should be when you're in the presence of the Lord. You should walk out saying, I've never seen anything like this before. Church, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Because there's something about being here in the house of the Lord that's life-changing. There's something about it. You know, you can sit at home and watch church online all day long, all month long, for two months, for two and a half months. But there is nothing more refreshing than gathering with God's people, being in God's house, assembling ourselves together. And man, when they told me, listen, you can have church. Now, it's at 50% capacity, but you can have church. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen? Our text tells us that Jesus was at home and that the people of Capernaum had filled his house and there was standing room only. You couldn't even get into the door. And the Bible says that he was preaching the word to them, that he was preaching the word, which means that he is preaching about himself. Think about it. John 1 and 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So if he's preaching the word, he's preaching things about himself. And when Jesus starts preaching things about himself, when he starts taking you through the word of God and teaching about himself, things happen. Things begin to change. When that happens in your life, your eyes will be open to things you've never seen before. Think about when, when, when Jesus was walking along the road after his, after his resurrection with two of his disciples walking along the road to Emmaus. They did not recognize Jesus as they were walking down the road, but Jesus began teaching the Old Testament. It says that he started with Moses, the books of Moses, that's the law, and he went all the way through the prophets. He went through the entire Old Testament. One one, uh, commentary that I read said that there were 22,000 references to the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. That is a long Bible study. And so they are walking down the road to Emmaus and he is expounding upon the scriptures and when they get to where they're going, suddenly, all of a sudden, they recognize that they've been walking with Jesus the whole time and they didn't even realize it because when Jesus starts teaching you about himself throughout the scriptures, your eyes will be open to things that you've never seen before. He's preaching the word and they can't fit one more person into the house. Not one. There's no more room inside of the house of Jesus for one more person to come in. And there are these four men, and they had a friend that was paralyzed. Church, I'll submit to you that all paralysis is not physical. All paralysis is not physical. There is mental paralysis. Oh, I have seen mental paralysis during COVID-19. Because I've seen some people that have just plain out stopped thinking. They, they, it's mental paralysis. Willing to engage in, in social media fights. Have you lost your mind? What good is going to come out of that? Saying and doing things and 
and, and just acting like they're the only person on the planet and, and, and they've just stopped thinking. It's a mental paralysis. But sometimes that mental paralysis just happens when, when nobody else is looking, nobody else is watching and you're stuck in a place, that a mindset that you just can't get out of. Sometimes it's a marital paralysis. Oh, I, I know Mandy and I, we've been there before. We've been stuck in a rut in our marriage before. It's a marital paralysis. And you're gonna have to get to Jesus to get through that. If you don't find Christ in the middle of a marital paralysis, you might as well go hire you a lawyer because you're going to go through a divorce. Thank God that Mandy and I have learned that when it gets tough, we can run to the cross. We may not see eye to eye, but I can pick up the cross and hit her with it. No, that, that's not in my notes. Sorry. Sorry. From the abundance of the heart. No. Sometimes it's a ministry paralysis. I want to talk to this on two levels here. When, when the stay-at-home order hit and we, we knew in the middle of March that we could no longer, I mean, just in one week's time, we could no longer have church together and this happened all over the nation. Our staff, and, and we've jokingly used this word because it's been used a lot throughout COVID-19 is, is the word pivot. Our staff quickly pivoted. We had never had an, an, an online service before to the point of, of, of being able to, to air and, and people to watch our services. We, we've always had audio, but never video. And it's because we were meeting in a middle school and they wouldn't give us the Wi-Fi code and it wouldn't work off hotspots. And so we just said, you know what? It's, it's what we have to deal with and it's why we have a nice system in here now that we, we are able to minister to people far beyond these walls. But we were not ready for it. And quickly our staff went to work and we didn't miss a beat. We, we missed some sleep, but we didn't miss a beat. Made it happen, but there were churches that were not ready and they had no idea what to do. They were in the middle of a ministry paralysis. Tough place to be. But it doesn't just happen with churches. It happens in our lives too. It, it happens with individuals. You know, one thing that's happened with, with quarantining and, and, and shutting down everything where nobody goes anywhere is that evangelism has, has stopped. One-on-one evangelism, face-to-face -face evangelism, having conversations with friends and, and relatives, with people that need Jesus. One reason why we need fresh breath in our dry bones right now is because we've got to get that evangelistic fire back inside of us. We once again need to see the lost and the hurting and share the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. We've got to get that urgency back to us. Spiritual paralysis, not moving forward with Christ is one of the saddest things that can happen for a Christian. And I've said this many times, church, but understand, I, I will stress this continually over and over and over if you are in the same place next year this time as you are right now with Christ, you're not walking with Christ. You're standing still and he's moving forward and leaving you behind. We should grow in our relationship, in our faith with Jesus Christ. Spiritual paralysis is one of the things that is haunting the church right now. Maybe you are that paralyzed friend or maybe you have a paralyzed friend. Maybe you're haunted by the ghost of your past and you're terrified to move into your future. Maybe today you were carried into this room on a metaphorical stretcher 
You don't know why you're here, but something pulled you here. It's because Jesus is in the house and your life is about to forever be changed today. I believe it in Jesus' name. Get ready to be made whole. When Jesus is in the house, there's healing in the house. There's purpose in the house. There's joy in the house. Well, these four friends are determined to get their buddy to Jesus, but the house is full. They can't get in the house. And one of the four, we don't know their names, we don't know who they are, but one of those four friends has this bright idea. Hey, guys, let's carry our paralyzed friend up on top of the roof. This is the dumbest idea you could possibly come up with, church. You understand this, right? They have a paralyzed friend, and and just to get him to Jesus, one guy... We don't know which one, but he says, let's, let's take him up. It, you have one of those friends. You know, he always has the off-the-wall ideas, and everybody thinks he's crazy because he is crazy. But every once in a while, he comes up with a good idea that just might work, and the other three guys went, Sam, you're about as crazy as a bed bug, but that just might work. And these four men take their paralyzed friend up on top of the roof of the home of Christ. I'm I'm thinking to myself, what if they drop him? Well, he's already paralyzed. I I don't mean, I mean, I've been locked up for too long, guys. Come on. (laughs) Stay with me, okay? It's it's cruel, I know. He's not going to feel it, I mean, if they drop him. So, I mean, he's, he's paralyzed, right? I couldn't help but wonder what this paralyzed man was thinking to himself as his friends say, hey, but we're going to take you up on top of the roof. He had to look at them and go, guys, uh, are you sure? It was a good try. You know, you you brought me here. We can't get in, but just take me back home. Or, hey, guys, you know, can you be careful? You know, I I know I'm I'm not much to look at right now, but I don't want to die, you know. Or, well, what if he got angry with them and he was like, put me down? And they're like, Okay. (laughs) What was going through this guy's mind? But his friends were determined. Let me tell you what the kingdom of God needs. The kingdom of God needs some determined, creative friends that will stop at nothing short of sin to get someone else to Jesus. Church, we have got to awaken the evangelism that God has put inside of us once again because we've got to start bringing people back to the cross. Because there is a world now more than ever that needs Jesus. And they need Jesus and they need friends and they need acquaintances and they need people that are just crazy enough that they will carry them to the house of God. And if if they need to because it's so crowded, they'll go up on top of the roof and they will create a hole in the roof to to lower their friend just so that he can get to the feet of Jesus. But you know when you bring someone, or or when you go to someone's house, you know it's proper to bring something with you, right? You're supposed to, okay, etiquette 101, you ready? If someone invites you or or your family over to their house, 
never just show up empty-handed. At least call, text, do something ahead of time that says, hey, what can we bring with us, okay? It just, it goes over better, okay? Just try. If Mandy and I are invited over to uh, another couple's house, um, we will send them a message, hey, what can we bring? And, and sometimes we bring the drinks, or sometimes, let me clarify that, sometimes we bring sweet tea and two liters of Coke and that kind of stuff, okay? Just want to make sure everybody's on the same page with me. But sometimes we will bring the drinks with us, and sometimes, sometimes we'll bring dessert with us, you know? And so uh, uh, you, you don't want to show up empty-handed. And these friends, when they got to the house of Jesus, they were not empty-handed. You see, they brought something, or specifically they brought someone. They did not show up empty-handed. They brought someone with them. They brought a friend to the house of the Lord. Church, let me ask you something. What do you bring when you come to the house of the Lord? What do you bring? What do I bring when I come to the house of the Lord? And these men would stop at nothing and they rip the roof off of the house. Can you imagine this scene? Jesus is in the middle of teaching the scriptures. He is teaching the Old Testament the things concerning himself, talking about himself, preaching the word, and all of a sudden you see some dust start to fall. I picture Jesus looking over on his shoulder going, all of a sudden everybody's looking up, their attention is to this hole that starts getting bigger and you see fingers come down through the hole and then, and then you see a whole hand come through and soon there's an arm that's peeling back the roof, and, and, and they're creating a hole, and not just a hole, this is a paralyzed man. They're, they're not, you know, I don't picture them anyway, like dropping him straight down. I mean, I don't think that's, that's, that would be mean, right? This guy has to lay out, and they're going to lower him down. And they lower this man down, and, 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 and they lower him down right in front of Jesus. And, and this is their mission. This is what they want to do. And, and everything's okay, because I know a good carpenter, and he'll take care of the roof later, okay? So everything's going to be okay. Now, church, let me transition this, because I want to speak life into our church. Are you ready? Church, are you ready? When we designed this building, we designed this building for ministry. This is not a cathedral. This is not a monument to man. This isn't about my legacy. This is a ministry center. And what I mean by that is that we've designed it in such a way that sometimes there's going to be marks on the walls. Sometimes there may be a hole in the wall. Sometimes there's going to be a stain in the carpet. And that's why we put carpet squares down so we can easily replace them. But sometimes there's going to be dirt the reason why is because we are inviting the lost and we are inviting those that may not be, and when I say this, I am not talking about physically, I'm talking about spiritually. We are inviting those that might not be as clean as we are to come in. And when you invite the lost in, things tend to get a little messy sometimes. But I've declared it from day one. And listen, if you're not on board, that, that, that's your business. But, but never come to me and say that the church is getting too big. That's not what this is about at all. The kingdom of God needs to expand. It needs to grow. We had humble beginnings, and we will remember that, and we will hold on to that. But this place will be used for ministry. It is not a shrine. It is not a temple. It is not untouchable. It is not a monument. This is meant to be used, and it's going to bring people to Jesus, and it is going to strengthen our walk and disciple us. That's what this building was built for. That's what this building will be used for. And I wish I would have thought of that, about that before the staff talked me into painting the foyer white. But we will deal with it, okay? 
Some of you have been asking me about, about Wednesday nights. Pastor, when are you going to start your Wednesday night Bible study back in the sanctuary? I have no idea, and, and here's the reason why. Our student center is not built yet that's going behind this building. We're moving forward, and, and, and we're praying that that happens soon. But we've got some middle school and high school students that they need to reconvene. They need each other. They're starving for each other, whether they admit it or not. They need the fellowship. They need the worship, and they need the word. And I'll be honest with you. When I first felt the Holy Spirit telling me this, I went, oh, no, access in the sanctuary. Oh. I saw the carpet in the student center, Lord. I will continue my services online until we have a place for them to call home. And Axis, we are working on it. Pastor Scott and I are working on it. And this will be your temporary home until we have a permanent home for you. And I will continue to teach online on Wednesday nights because this makes sense. Because this is a ministry center and we want to see Axis and our middle school and high school students. We want to see you fed and receiving God's word. This is the ministry center that God's called us to build. It's, it's called ripping the roof off the house. That's what we're doing. Now, there's something really significant that happens when Jesus is in the house. Think about this. When he went to Simon Peter's house to, to heal his mother-in-law, the Bible says that after he healed his mother-in-law, the whole city of Capernaum showed up at that house. So when Jesus was at the house, the whole city shows up. When, when he went to Jairus' house to, to heal his daughter, the house was full of people. Matter of fact, Jesus had to ask some of them to leave the room in order for him to pray and, and, and heal the daughter. When he went to have dinner at, at Matthew, the tax collector's house, the Bible says that many tax collectors and sinners gathered there to sit down with Jesus. They just wanted to be near him. And when he was at home resting, people flocked to his home when they found out Jesus is at his home in Capernaum. I, I hope you see the common thread here that wherever Jesus is at, people are drawn to that. Jesus in the house brings people to the house. John 12 and 32 says, and I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Jesus said these words. He says, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And yeah, it was prophetic for him hanging on a cross, lifted up between two thieves. And, and he continues to draw people to him. But listen to me, church. When we lift up the name of Jesus Christ, we will continue to see people come. We will continue to see this church grow. And I will never apologize for that. What God wants to do here, God will accomplish as long as we lift up the name of Jesus with everything that we do. In closing, I want to share with you a little bit about my ministry. And I want to tell you what God taught me many years ago. In 1997, when I became a full-time youth pastor, I was very green. I had no idea what I was doing. Matter of fact, the first week that I was in the office, my brother, who was a youth pastor at the time, I picked up the phone and I called my brother and I said, um, I said, Rodney, um, what do you do all day? He said, don't worry. He said, brother... It, it, it will get busy. About a week later, it got busy and it hasn't stopped. 23 years later, I'm still going at it. 
I had no idea what I was doing as a youth pastor, no idea whatsoever. Didn't know what to do, how to do it. And I was praying one day, very young, in my early 20s, and I was praying, God, if I'm gonna do this thing, you, you gotta teach me. And he led me to John 12 and 32. And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. We started off with 12 kids in that youth ministry. And the only thing that I knew to do was to start lifting up Jesus. And as we begin to lift up Jesus, kids begin to come. In a church that ran just over 200 people, all of a sudden we had 80 kids in our youth ministry. God moved us to Tampa two years later. I get to Tampa and I'm, I'm in a, at a very established, larger church. But the former youth pastor that was there before I was there, he had started a church across town. And so some of those students went there and now I was at a bigger church with less kids. I, only, I think the first Wednesday night I was there, I had like 32 students. And I was scratching my head. I was trying everything to figure out how to get that youth ministry to grow. I was a small town youth pastor now in a big city and I had no idea what I was doing. And God reminded me, John 12 and 32, and die. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So we started lifting up the name of Jesus. That youth ministry grew, grew to over 150. And then God moved us here. I had never been a lead pastor. I had always been a youth pastor, associate pastor. I'd never been in this role. I had no idea what I was doing. Some of you remember that. You remember me having no idea what I was doing. But I'd learned my lesson. It wasn't from my abilities. It wasn't from programming. From day one, it was John 12 and 32. And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And we started doing that. We had... 15 people that met that first Wednesday night just for an informative meeting. Eight of them were related to me. And we started lifting up Jesus. And we grew to 35 and then we launched. That first Sunday we had 101 people that showed up. Then I grew it to about 70. Some of you will figure that out later. But we just kept lifting up Jesus. And everything that we did, we just kept lifting up Jesus. Because he made me a promise. And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And we just kept lifting up Jesus. And for the past nearly 14 years, we just keep lifting up Jesus. Day, we have to have three services on the opening day. I think we're a little over 50% capacity in this room right now, but who's counting? The church, we're just getting started. We've gone through the season. It was labor pains. Giving birth to this, whoo. 
And we're stepping into a new season, church. And if we don't do anything else, let's make sure that we lift up the name of Jesus. Because all of this will be in vain. But if we lift up Jesus, we will see our friends come to Christ. We will see our co-workers come to Christ. If we keep lifting up Jesus, you'll see your prodigals come home. If we keep lifting up Jesus, we will win this city and the surrounding cities as long as we keep lifting up Jesus. But if I ever forget it, you come to me. You be nice, but you remind me. Pastor, let's lift up Jesus. And we will become everything that he's called us to be as long as we keep lifting up Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please, nobody looking around. As we've lifted up Jesus today, there's some of you in this room that you feel the Holy Spirit pulling at your heart right now. Today, Jesus Christ wants to forgive you. Today, he wants to give you eternal life. Today, he wants to extend his grace and his mercy. You know who you are. You know who I'm talking to right now. I will not embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not even going to ask you to stand. But if you need that forgiveness today, if you need that relationship with Christ, I just want you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for right now. Raise it high right now. Come on, raise your hand right now. You know who you are. Raise it high. Yes, leave it up. Leave it up. Someone else. Yes, thank you. Leave it up. Thank you, you can put your hand down. Maybe you're watching at home and you need Jesus today. I'm gonna give you the same instructions that I'm about to give them. If you feel the Holy Spirit pulling at your heart, all you have to do is just repeat this prayer after me, but mean it in your heart. Make my prayer your prayer. And to those of you in the room that raised your hand, make my prayer your prayer today church so that we don't single anyone out I want you all to look up to heaven with me and let's say this prayer together say dear Lord I'm a sinner I need a savior I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that he rose again giving me eternal life and today I make him the Lord of my life in his name I pray amen Amen. Amen. Church, let's celebrate. Amen. Amen. Now listen to me. Listen to me. If you raised your hand and you said that prayer, you do have a responsibility today. I want you to understand that. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before the Father. And you know who you are. 
Don't let the enemy talk you out of this today. Don't be ashamed of what Christ has done in your life. You have just received forgiveness for your sins. You have a clean slate right now, and you have grace for the journey that you're about to walk. At the end of this service, when we're all dismissed, we're going to have some prayer team members standing around the front. They have a book in their hands that they want to give you. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. But more than anything else, you need to tell someone before you walk out of this room today, I made Jesus the Lord of my life. For those of you that are watching at home, I, I just want you to know that if you made that decision, you need to tell someone. We want you to tell us. We want you to testify to us of what Christ has done in your life. And you can do that by going to destinycommunitychurch.org slash connect. Go down to the decision form, fill that out, and we're going to put this book in the mail to you. Church, one more time, let's celebrate what Christ has done in life today. Let's stand all over the room. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.